Let's turn back to the book of Titus. Chapter 3, once again. <clears throat> this morning we looked at verses, uh, basically verses 1 through 7. And this evening I would like to basically just read verse 8. And then what I'd like to do is, is take, make an examination of, <clears throat> of what is the main theme of Titus, which I mentioned in passing. Uh, but I want to look at that in a little more detail. But we'll look at chapter 3 and verse number 8. Just as a, as a, as a reminder of what these things said, uh, of course, verse 3, we spent a lot of time this morning talking about verse 3 and uh, the, our state, where we were, what God's, how God described us before we knew Him, which then by extension applies to those that do not know Him now. And then verse 4 is, is, is how it all changed. How we went from that state to where we are now, as imperfect as we are, yet totally, totally different. Radically changed, totally upended. That is and should be the testimony of every born-again believer. Is our life has been totally up in, upended. Our desires, not only the inside, but also the fruit of the inner man coming out to see, for others to see, ought to be different. And that's exactly what verse 3 says. And it was all done by the love and the grace and goodness of God, kindness of God in verse 4. Now, remember how the love of God appeared. It was not, it was not appeared as in God whispering in someone's ear how much He loves us. No, 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 no. no. It was demonstrated. It was demonstrated. It appeared for everyone to see. And uh, so the love of God is not just a feeling God expresses to us in words, although He does. It is also a fact, an action that God demonstrated to us. And uh, the cross of Christ stands as the monument of God's love. You remember the children of Israel when they when various things would happen, whether they crossed the Red Sea or remember when they crossed the Jordan River and those, the, the, they each one of each tribe got the stones out of the Jordan River. And what, they, what did they do with those stones? They set the stones up in a pile, basically a pile, a heap, which is a pile. And you know what that stone was? It was a monument for what God had done, a permanent reminder. And the cross is a permanent reminder of the love of God. And then we get down to verse number, uh, I'll start in verse 6. I want to get to verse 8. The Bible says, Which, talking about the Holy Spirit, He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Alright? We've spent a, a, a lot of time and a lot of attention, given a lot of attention to the grace of God, where we were in sin, and how the grace of God pulled us out of sin and changed us. Not something we did ourselves. God didn't say we had to reform ourselves. The grace of God did that. That's the thing. The grace of God changed us. If you're changed, I hope you are. 
you are changed from verse 3, the grace of God did it. But now we must move forward. We must turn the page of that, not forgetting it, but upon that basis and foundation, we must go forward to live for God. And that's what verse 8 is talking about. And this is the theme, the major one single kind of theme that binds all the book of Titus together. And it's summarized in verse 8, which says this. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Let's pray together. Lord, Thank you for this time, once again, to study your word and for all that are listening, all that have come this uh, evening. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us, you would instruct us. I pray for your spirit's enlightenment, that you would uh, illuminate our minds and help us, Lord, to see the things you'd have us to see in your word. They're there the whole time. They're, they're not covered. They're not hidden. They're just waiting for someone to kind of dig them out and... Uh, and, and find the, uh, the treasures and the truths that are in your word. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us and meet with us and speak to us and stir among us, Lord. Remind us of these things that we know, but we need reminding of. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what, I'm, what I would like to do, in, in based upon verse number 8, is I would like to nag you a little bit. I want to kind of, I want to do what verse 8 says. And I want to affirm constantly something that God says is very important. Which is that we, as those who have believed in God, this is not superficial belief in God as in that you believe a God exists. But this, in this context, is referring to someone who has true faith, saving faith in God that we be careful to maintain good works. So let me, let me say this. This is something that God wants. Again, this is, Titus has spoken to whom? Titus, the book of Titus has spoken to whom? Not the people of Crete, but the, but the preacher at Crete. Right, now, so Paul is speaking to the preacher, and of course there are things that he says, like we talked about this morning, that he should tell to the people of Crete. But Paul is speaking to the preacher at Crete, the church there, and he's saying, I want you to bug God's people about this thing. I want you to bring it up over and over and over. I want you to constantly affirm this. I want you to remind them of this, and I don't want you to let this get stale in their mind. This is important. Alright? That's what verse 8 is talking about. So that's what I want to do. Just remind you of something you already know. Now, affirm. It simply means to assert something, declare and state it positively, constantly. You think about what it says, that they which have believed, uh, I'm sorry, that I will that thou affirm constantly. This is something, this fact, which is this. I'll state it and then we'll get back into the verse here. The way that we as believers live, the works that we do and don't do, matters. 
it matters. What we do and don't do and the way we live and the practices of our life are important. It is not a minor issue in the Christian life. It is so important that God told, through Paul, God told a pastor, remind them constantly. Affirm them. Declare it constantly. So I'm saying, it matters the way you and I live before this world. God is looking. The world is looking. And God is paying attention to the way we live. Our choices and our lifestyle matters. Matters. That's, that's what Paul, the essence of what Paul is saying here. Now, why do we need constant reminders of this fact? We all know what I just said. I'm sure every person uh, uh, that's, that's of accountable age would agree that it matters the way we live as a Christian. It matters. But even though we know it, God still says you, you need reminding. I need reminding. We need to be reminded of this fact. Because we are in danger of forgetting it. We are in danger of forgetting it. Over time, we tend to let things slip. You know, when you grab, when you grab, a, grab a, a hold of something and you hold it for a long time, sometimes you, when you initially grab it, your, your, your strength is really strong. Your, your, your grip is really strong. But as time goes on, sometimes without even, your, without even you perceiving it, your grip kind of weakens slightly. It, it degrades a little bit. And so you're not gripping that thing as tight as you were. And that's our nature. We... We tend to loosen our grip. It becomes weakened. Our resolve, listen now, the resolve of our life to live according to God's will, according to God's word, starts to falter. Now, I want to say this at the outset. This is not us keeping a list of do's and don'ts. You're, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to stand, stand up here and give you a list of do's and don'ts that you need to make sure you follow. I'm not talking about that that. Uh, the truth is, as we, as we talked about a few weeks ago from Romans chapter 14, every one of us, every one of us as a matter of conscience before God in honesty and sincerity with God's word has to come at our lives and say, Lord, what are you pleased for me to do and not do? And sometimes we will, we will end up in different places, somewhat different places, but as long as the Word of God, we are seeking to obey and follow what God has given us in the Scripture, we'll be okay. But even that sometimes falters. And you know what? It's natural. It's natural for us to need this kind of constant maintenance, this kind of maintenance in our lives. The way we live matters. So, at no time should any Christian be led to believe or led to think that the way that they live isn't that important. Because that is a doctrine that is flying around and permeating Christianity these days. Now, nobody ever come, no, none of the churches that embrace this, this it's really a philosophy, a doctrine, None of them come out and say, the way you live don't matter, just live however you want, do whatever you want. Nobody ever comes out and says it. But, listen now, the refusal, their refusal to address what the Scripture says about the way we live in, in, a practical, in a practical way, their refusal to address it demonstrates that they don't think it's that important. That 
Some things they just kind of let slide and they're going to deal with the big issues. Well, everything in the Bible is not a big issue as far as the way, the way we think of issues, right? You think about the word emulation. How many of you know what emulation is? Emulation is what I just did with Mrs. Myers a minute ago. When I was, she, I said something and she said something that was comparative and so I had to come up with something to best her. That's emulation. Is that a big deal according to this world? No. But it is something that is in the Scripture and so it matters. It all goes back to believing, preaching, and following all the counsel of God and not leaving some things out and making people think that, well, you know, eh, it doesn't really matter all that, all that much. And then look at verse number 8 again. The very, last, the very last part of the verse is a sentence that says, These things are good and profitable unto men. Now, what did we just get finished this morning studying from, from chapter 3, verses 2, down through verse number 7? We first have a description of our works before we knew God, the way we were before. Then we have the, the grand, if you could say, the entrance of the light of God. This word entrance is like it's related to light. The rising of the sun that came in our life by the gospel. Christ changed us, not we changing ourselves. Of course, we've already covered all that. We have been changed and He has forgiven our sin and renewed us in the inner man. He's made us new creatures. He's given us His Spirit that we might be justified, being justified by His grace. We are now righteous in His sight, all because of His grace and kindness toward us. Right? All of these good things that, that God did when we had nothing to boast of and no righteousness of our own. That's what chapter 3 is talking about. And then in verse 8, he says at the end, these things are good and profitable unto men. Talking about our good works. So here's the thing. This reminds us that our, th- although our good works are not, absolutely not, profitable for our salvation, yet they are profitable to men. And so if they're profitable to men, there is profit. They matter. They matter. Now, in our, t- in our day, I hear some people say, well, I just don't really care what people think about me. Well, that's stupid. And that's not scriptural. Because you as a believer, what they think about you is what they think about Christ. So this idea, well, I don't really care what people think about me, of course, that can, be, that can be taken wrongly, of course, people being ashamed of Christ and, you know, that kind of thing. But that's not what we're talking about. This kind of, this kind of uh, brazenness, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care if, I don't care if uh, they like it or not. I just, I don't even care. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be real, you know. They have an app, some, some app they told me about. What do they call it? Be real? Be real. It takes a picture of, a simultaneous picture of, of, of you as a selfie as well as what's in front of you in one picture. And they say that's being real. Of course, we all know that's fake because they all get their makeup done and stuff before they do it. But that's all, it's all about being real. Well, I'm just going to be genuine. 
I'm just going to be genuine. I don't care what people think about me. Well, no believer should be saying that. Because what they think about you is what they think about Christ. So it matters. Now, we don't live for other people's opinions. Right? We don't live with everything we do hinging upon what they think and in fear of you know, trying to maintain, as we talked about in Sunday school, some sort of facade. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about representing, being a representative of Christ in this world. And so what we do matters. It is profitable to men, not to our salvation, but to men. Now look at chapter 2. If you would, we're going to start in verse number 11. We're going to read through verse number 14. It says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now Paul's right there. The grace of God. Now we talked about that this morning, right? The grace of God. Is the grace of God something you contribute to or not? By definition, the grace of God is God's disposition toward us without any righteousness of our own, right? So it has nothing to do with our righteousness. It has to do with the character and person of God. That's, he is a gracious God. And so He has grace toward us. Now notice it says, that grace that bringeth salvation. So the grace of God is the source. It brings salvation. Now let me ask you a question. How does, in, in what kind of vehicle, by what means did this salvation in verse number 11 arrive to us? What was the vehicle in which it arrived? This is not a trick question. What's that? Christ, the cross, His blood. That is the salvation. He is salvation. And so when it talks about the grace of God that bringeth salvation, the grace of God sent Christ for God so loved the world that He, what? Gave His only begotten Son. We know where that ends. That ends at a cross and a tomb for, the sins of, uh, for, for my sins, for your sins, for all of our sins. That bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. There's that little word appear. Just like, <coughs> excuse me, just like in chapter 3, verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. So chapter 2, verse number 11, and chapter 3, verse 4 are saying the same thing. The grace of God that brought salvation. Salvation is Christ, is His blood shed for our sins. That's it. That's it. Now, then you have verse 12. Teaching us. Now, what teaches us? The grace of God. Verse 11, verse 12. The grace of God hath appeared, teaching us. So the grace of God teaches us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. What I want you to see, though, here is this. Before the Lord tells us the way we're supposed to live, before He talks about our works, good works, bad works, living uprightly, righteously in this world, in practice, before the works are mentioned, the grace appears. The grace comes first. The works 
follow. Notice the, notice the language here. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. Hath appeared. That's perfect tense. It's done. God already did it. That's what God did without our help. We weren't even born. God's love. God's grace. So the works, the grace appears first, and the works follow in the future. It says, that we should live soberly. That's future. So the works, the way we're supposed to live, is supposed to be an expected result of the influence of the grace of God upon us, which we already have. So we have the grace of God and the result of our having the grace of God is, is the way we live. It affects the way we live. Now let me make a few, let me make a few comments here. All right? We are not trying to live right. We are not trying to be careful to maintain good works to get the grace of God. It's important for us to understand this. I'm not trying to attain God's grace. I'm not trying to get Him to like me. I'm not trying to get God to, to be kind to me by, by, by doing righteousness. That's not my motivation. And it shouldn't be your motivation, any of our motivations. We are not doing that in order to get God to love us or to be kind to us, show grace to us, and certainly not to save us. Remember, the grace of God and salvation are, are together. See, we are working from grace, not to grace. We're working from the position of, I have the grace. God, I, I have, the Bible actually teaches, the Bible, Bible actually says that we are in the grace of God. Our life exists. We live in a, if you will, a bubble of the grace of God. God, I, I came across one, one uh, tweet. I look at Twitter sometimes. I came across one tweet I thought was fantastic. I can't tell you what it says right now, but the gist of it was, the gist of it was that we never have to fear of some ill thought of God that He has toward us. No, we live in the grace of God. We have that already. So we, we, what we do when we try to live godly and righteously, we do it from grace, not to grace. We're not trying to get to grace. Grace is already done. Now look at, look at uh, the verse again. Teaching us, verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Notice that, ungodliness and worldly lusts. Also in ch chapter 3, verse 3, we, we talked about that at length this morning, talking about foolish, disobedient, deceive, lusts, pleasures, mouths, envy, hateful, hating one another. From what did the grace of God save us? The grace of God saved us from these things. So if God saved us from these things, then that shows that He's not pleased with them. He wanted to take us out of those things. And we know He cleansed us from those things. He did not save us from those evil, evil works that we read about in verse 12 and we read about in chapter 3, verse 3. He did not save us from those just to enable us to continue to do them. 
Chapter 2, verse 14, what does it say? Who gave himself, Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Redeem us. He paid the price, that's redemption, to purchase us from iniquity. So he bought us out of sin. That's what it's saying. He did not buy us out of sin so that we could then hop right back into sin. No. So you can see God's intention. He wanted to save us from sin when we had no strength. That's what we heard in Romans, right? No strength. He saved us completely by His grace, by the cross, by Christ's blood. And now, seeing He saved us from it, it is obvious then that He doesn't want us to be there. He purchased us out of sin's power to free us of its influence entirely. Now, if you would, hold your place here. We'll come back to it in just a second. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I love when, we, when, when there are passages of Scripture that have parallel themes. And this is one of those. You guys, almost all of you could probably quote what I'm going to read. And that's good. You're going to see chapter 2. Verse 8, look at what it says. It says this, For by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith. There that grace is. Right? The grace of God brought Christ who saved us. His blood taking our sin away. When we trusted, that's where faith is, right? That's the activation of it whereby we receive the grace of God. So the grace of God came, that not of, of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, going back to Romans 3, uh, I'm sorry, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, same thing, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You see, the works are the end. The works are the goal. A godly life, living righteously, soberly, uprightly, our mouth clean, our mind clean, our works clean and holy, is the end of the grace of God. It's where the grace of God wants to bring us, you see. We are His workmanship, verse 10. Created in Christ Jesus, that's the renewal of the Holy Ghost we read about this morning, that new creation, unto good works. Listen to this. You talk about predestination, foreordination. This is it. Which God hath before ordained, that's foreordination, that we should walk in them. Bottom line, God saved us without our help, without our righteousness, out of sin, he saved us by His grace, by His love and kindness, so that we would live right. Say amen right there. Right? So that we would live right. So that we would, we would sin less, so that we would live right, do the will of God, keep away from sin, and walk and ever pursue holiness and righteousness in His sight in our practical life. Now listen, grace, 
Grace is not to be... Let, let, me, let me rephrase this. Though we are not saved by good works and righteous works, that's true, yet grace is not to be understood as any kind of license to sin or to diminish the gravity of sin. People say, people often don't say it. I love to kind of key in on what people, how people act, even if they don't say it, because sometimes our, we won't say things that we actually do. Some people think, well, you know, it, look, it's not the end of the world. You know, I've got faults. You know, I mess up. It's not the end of the world. After I'm saved by grace. That is not what the grace of God is intended to teach us. Now, to say that is not to say that there's a threat by God that He's going to cast somebody into hell if they, if, they, if they break one of His commandments. No. We are in the grace of God already. But the motivation and the reason that we want to live right is because of God has given us His grace already. It's done. But the grace of God has been perverted, twisted as a pretext. It has been mischaracterized. It has been misused to lighten the gravity of sin. To make it such that, you know, I really want to do this. And, you know, it's probably not right, but, you know, grace. We should never use the grace of God as an excuse to sin. I should never use the grace of God as an excuse to sin. The grace of God is the excuse to do right. So there's a couple of extremes and pitfalls that we need to be aware of. We've covered them to some degree. I'm just, I know, I'm just kind of repeating myself and going back over and over and over it, like kneading dough or something. <laughs> Number one, it's an error, it's a pitfall to think that you get the grace of God by doing good works. It's already been given to you. It's also a pitfall to think that because you were saved by grace through faith, your works are trivial. don't really matter. It's a trivial consideration. That's also false. And you know what? I want to say that this is a rabbit trail right here. All right, just so you know. You know, our church, by and large, is a, is a conservative church. And everybody's going to fall some kind of on a different place on, on that, wherever that spectrum is of how conservative we are. I'm talking about religiously, I'm not talking about politically, I'm talking about religiously, how conservative we think and how strict we want to be in following God's word and where we fall in, in those decisions. And you know, I'm, I'm glad of that. I'm glad of that. But you know one thing I'm really sick and tired of? I'm sick and tired of other people telling me and people like me and people like you why we are conservative. Why we try to follow God's word so, so strictly. And I, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't feel like I'm wearing chains or I don't feel like anything strict. I don't feel like I'm in prison or anything. But see, other people say, will characterize people like us because, oh, you're so narrow-minded and you're so this and that. They'll say that. And they'll say that we are doing those things because we want God to love us. We're trying to perform for God so God will be nice to us. Listen, that is bunk. That is 100% bunk. 
It also, though, becomes the basis for people casting off any kind of regulation, even from God's Word, and saying, well, pfft, I don't know, these rules, legalism, and all that. has nothing to do with legalism. None of us in here, if you are a true, truly born again child of God, you're not trying to get the grace of God. You already know you have it. So the question of what, how you live is a question of pleasing the Lord and walking in His will because you have His grace. And I, you know what? I'm not going to let other people try to characterize what I believe. I'm just not going to let it happen. As I said before, we do good works from the position of grace, not in order to get grace. One person does good works to get the grace of God. The other does good works as a result of receiving the grace of God. Now, let me address a couple other things and then we'll look back in Titus and we'll be finished. For those of us that try to live right, and, you know, be careful if you say that. Living right is not the same as being, being born again. There's people in my family that say, that will describe salvation as living right. It's not. It's not. Some Christians live in disobedience. Some believers live, sorry, Pastor Stewart, some believers live in disobedience. He's going to call me out on it. He'll probably write me a text in about three seconds. <clears throat> some believers live in disobedience. That's true. But I want to address the, uh, some of the things that are said about people like us who have a view of we really do want to follow God's word and our, our, our intent. And you might say, he wrote, let's see. He said, I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> yeah, you just did. <laughs> now, some people will... Claim and, and I, want, I, want, I want all of us, I really want us all to test our motives and heart because we should not be following rule, lists of rules that someone has provided us. Now, are there things I, I will do and won't do? Absolutely. Are there places I will go and won't go? Absolutely. Are there certain, there's musics, music, musics. Wow. Are there songs and types of music I will listen to and won't listen to? Absolutely. I have rules for, my, for myself. But I don't live by the rules. I, live by God. I try to live by God's word, honestly, sincerely. Not because I'm afraid God's going to do something to me, but, but because I have been given His grace. He has saved me from sin. I don't want to go back to it. And what, what a danger. You see someone get saved... And they've, they've been in sin, and like, like cha uh, chapter 3, verse 3 of Titus. They've been in sin, and God saves them, and they start on, on the right path. There's, you, sh you should have alarm bells going off when you see that person starting to slide back into the very sin that they started to do, that, 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 that they left, actually. That's a danger, because they end up doing the very same things God saved them from doing. Listen. We should all just want to honestly and sincerely and genuinely do the will of God as we understand it. But so many people look at us and are hostile toward us. And we're just sitting here trying to live for God, right? Here's why we maintain good works. 
Because God's Word tells us to. That's pretty simple. We try to maintain good works because God saved us and created us to live righteously in this world. We try to maintain good works out of a sincere desire to make the Savior that the world sees in us as beautiful as possible. That's it. We're not trying to earn God's favor. We have it. Can I get an amen? We have it. You have it. You have it already. God is happy with you. You are precious to Him as His child. But there are two purposes for living right after we have been saved by the grace of God. Two reasons. Number one, as we head back to Titus, if you're not already there. Number one is found in chapter 2, verse 12. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Verse 14, Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people. That doesn't mean weird, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) It doesn't mean we ought to like dress weird and just be weird. Just, you know, I've seen that too. Just saying. A peculiar people zealous of good works. So here's the thing. Two purposes for living right after we have been saved by God's grace. Toward God, it is to fulfill the purpose for which God saved us. He saved us, verse 14 says, to, to make, to purify to Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. He saved us to do the good things, to live right, sober, righteous, upright, godly, holy. In this present world. And then secondly, Toward man, we try to live right after we've been saved in order to beautify the Savior, to beautify the gospel, the truth, and the word of God to the world. That's what chapter 3, verse 8 says. These things are good and profitable unto men. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. And let ours also learn to maintain good works, once again, for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. See, failure to live right as a Christian and allowing sin into your life actually makes you unfruitful. It doesn't bear the fruit that your life is supposed to bear to God. Now let's look at a few things in chapter 2 and we'll be done. Look at verse number 5. In verse number 3, you have the aged women. And then in verse 4, they're to teach the younger women. Verse 4 says, They may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. This is Listen, in this world, this world is wicked, man. This world has turned this thing into the most, most hateful thing that almost a woman can do in this world. Having a husband and children, that is as this world views it, is the lowest rung of the ladder, the most useless life possible. And I'm not exaggerating with this. And everything the opposite is glorified. But it says here, they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Now look at this. 
that the word of God be not blasphemed. That means spoken against. So to women, God says they are to live uprightly, which is what that's a description of in various ways. Toward the Lord, toward their husbands, toward their children, so that no one has an opportunity to speak against the Word of God. Now, I can't fully understand this, but what I do know is in some way, the life and works of a lady, a wife, and a mother, especially, is is a point that the world examines to see the reality of the grace of God in their life. More than maybe other, other people. In other ways. So when, when a wife, a mother, and a, a lady fails in these things and doesn't maintain these good works and doesn't care how she lives and does the will of God and tries to live uprightly in those, uh, in those functions and roles that she has specifically. Look, look, I don't care what the news says. A man can't be a mother. A man can't be a wife. Period. If you have an XY chromosome, you can't be a mother and a wife. There's only one type of person that can do that, and that's a woman. But what an opportunity a woman has to beautify the gospel. I mean, I have seen this with my own wife many, many, many times. Where my wife, the doctrine of God, my wife has beautified that by by her, her demeanor and disposition and love for her family. I have seen this. Even the way she, even the way she tries, to, tries to be submissive. Other people notice that. Now they don't tell you they like it. Sometimes they even sneer. But it beautifies the gospel. Do I understand that fully? No, but that's what it says. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he, this is talking about young men now, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say. So the young men, we are to live uprightly. I say young. Pastor Stewart would probably take exception, of course. <laughs> to young men, we're, we are to live uprightly as to, so as to nullify evil accusations and make the accuser ashamed. I could read some other verses, but for time, I'm not, I'm not going not to do that. And lastly, in chapter 2, verse 10, uh, 9 and 10, it says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their, mas- their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, back talk, not purloining, stealing, but showing all good fidelity. So you have the Lord saying, this is the way servants are supposed to be. This is how you do the will of God as a servant. Maybe you can apply it to an employee. This is how you, you, you live for God and live uprightly and soberly and godly as a servant. So you have different roles here. And as a servant, it says, if you live that way, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. They make the gospel more beautiful. To live uprightly as a servant is to make the, gospel, the doctrine of God more attractive to the world. Now hear me. Living right, doing good works, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, letting your light so shine before men, that's the same thing. This is the only biblical way to attract the world to the gospel. Did you know that? It's not by having a music that appeals to their tastes. 
It's not by having uh, uh, dress standards that appeal to the lust of the flesh. No. The way that we attract the world to the gospel biblically is by what we're reading about now. An upright, godly life with good works and holiness. That is the biblical way to attract them in a way that is profitable. It has nothing to do with filling a building with people. It has to do with drawing them to God. Not drawing them to our church, but to God. That is what's most important, right? This is the biblical way to make the gospel more attractive. So every one of us as a believer, myself included, ought to make sure that our grip on this holy life, this this life of good works for which we were saved, that our grip remains tight and that we continue to do and try to do, live that life that is upright and holy and righteous. Let's pray.